Do you want to know how to get featured in mass media outlets like brands such as Canva, Vinomofo and Uber to increase the trust and credibility in your brand? Mass media exposure elevates the perception of your brand, attracting customers and clients, increasing sales and enabling you to outsell your competitors. The Magnify You podcast has been made for you. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld, and I founded and have been running my PR agency, Wordstorm PR, for 20 years. Over that time, we've worked with literally hundreds of brands and positioned our clients as the go-to media spokespeople for their industry. Before this, I worked as a producer at A Current Affair, where I learned what it takes to get your story in the media. I will be interviewing journalists, talent agents, media professionals, and inspiring entrepreneurs about what it takes to mainstream your message. Welcome to the first episode of the Magnify You podcast. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld, and my first guest on our Mainstream Your Message journey is Shannon Malloy, the senior reporter for the number one online news site in the country, news.com.au. I couldn't think of a better person to start the series with. Welcome, Shannon, and Hello. thanks for coming in. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you today because it's so nice to get the stories behind the online news sites and just hear what goes on in, in your days and your life. So let's get straight into it. Great. <laughs> so can you tell me what's the best and worst thing about working in media? Oh, gosh. Uh, the best is is definitely getting to meet and talk to a variety of different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a given week, it could be someone who's dealing with extraordinary loss or a politician or a leading business person or someone doing great things in the community or a celebrity. It's a real variety of people that I'm privileged enough to be able to speak to. Um, so that's what I love is is just hearing stories and sharing those stories mm. with, with readers. And who are some of the most memorable sort of people that you've met or some of your favourite interviews? Well, I wrote uh, sort of celebrity features for about four years, so um, I've got a, a great sort of dinner party list of, mm. of celebs that I've been lucky enough to interview. Some of the most interesting are, I spent sort of a morning with Miranda Kerr, which was pretty surreal, mm. um, and it was not long after she had announced her divorce uh, from Orlando Bloom, so it was a fairly challenging interview given that her publicist wasn't. Uh, keen to discuss any of those issues. And how do you get the goss when, you know, there's a publicist there saying no comment, no comment, but you know the story is going to be completely bland without that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, With that one, I think I was just lucky that that we built a bit of a rapport and uh, and she seemed comfortable and relaxed and, and I sort of led her towards the door and then let her open it. And once it was opened, uh, we had a, a brief but pretty um, pretty incredible conversation about some of the as- aspects of her personal life, uh, which made it a great story and it, it ran nationally as a cover. But it's sort of w- with people like that who, you know, you, you imagine Miranda Kerr, who's, who's been a supermodel since she was 14. She's been interviewed thousands of times. Uh, it's a great challenge to go in and try and get something new and, and to build trust. And that's kind of how I approach it. I, I just try and make them comfortable and, and trust me and, and treat it like a conversation, really. And have you met any celebrities that have surprised you or who have been particularly nasty or you, you really <laughs> liked them before the interview and afterwards you were like, I'm never looking at anything they do again? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, we want names. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the most bizarre experiences. Um, I was flown over to LA to interview Jane Fonda uh, when she started on the Netflix series um, Grace and Frankie, which is uh, a great sort of comedy about two older women that move yeah, in together. I've seen that one. Yeah, it's, yeah, really it's, funny it's one. fantastic. Yeah. I loved it, and I I love her, and you know I used to watch. Nine to five once a week when I was a little boy, which says a lot about me, and uh, and she was awful. Um, really, what yeah. happened? I I went to shake her hand and she sort of recoiled uh, from me and and picked up her little dog, which inexplicably was was in the hotel suite doing interviews with her that day, uh, and she sort of just didn't make eye contact and and oh. gave one word answers and then after a minute she said I've had enough and and walked oh, off. Wow. So wow. I don't know if it was something about my face or uh. Uh, she'd had a long day, but um, that was disappointing to fly 14 hours, yeah. uh, be really excited to meet someone, yeah. um, particularly someone with an incredible life and career, uh, and then have it end in, in a minute or a bit. Wow. Mm. Have you heard that she's like that with other people? Or? Yes. And I've, I've seen a couple of pretty famous interviews now where she uh, she has a pretty low threshold for questions that she doesn't want to answer mm. uh, and situations she doesn't want to be in. But hey, she that's the position she's in and an all power to her, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, that's disappointing because I used to do her aerobics videos <laughs> oh, right. in the 80s in my leg warmers <laughs> and my leotard and she yeah. was my hero too. So. I was disappointed. <laughs> but for, you know, every story like that, and I've there's thankfully only about half a dozen pretty awful examples I've got dozens and dozens of wonderful stories. And on that, you know, you might have a fantastic interview when you're in depth with this philosophical conversation and you're really getting, you know, it's fantastic. And then sort of you have to kind of put it into a how many word is a typical article that you would write on news.com.au. How do you find sort of taking that fantastic conversation and kind of making it palatable for the for the mass audience? It's sort of a case by case um, situation. The great thing with online is that we don't have size or space restrictions. Mm-hmm. But the other challenge is that uh, obviously the the competition for content online is is tight. There is so much stuff that people can consume, um, and they get it from a variety of sources, from social media and. Uh, just their general browsing. It's not like a newspaper that someone actively picks up and and they're more likely to read things in depth perhaps than sort of clicking and then clicking away. Yeah. Um, so if it's a really compelling and interesting story and, and I've got a strong hook to get someone at the beginning, I don't mind going sort of 1,500, maybe even 2,000 words. Mm-hmm. If it's something... You know, if it's a different scenario where perhaps I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to carry them all the way through, then there's definitely things I've left out of, of a story before that were still interesting, but you kind of prioritise what you've got from that chat and, and yeah. what's best to present. And speaking of getting people engaged straight away, I know the headline's really important. So how, how do you go about creating that headline that's going to get cut through? There's always chat about uh, clickbait. Mm. Um, I like to think that that we don't engage in clickbait at news.com.au. There's there's sort of a growing philosophy philosophy around what we call click reward. So it's an interesting headline in no sort of different way to what newspapers engage in, you know, clever puns, something grabby that you see 
uh, you know, on a uh, ad board outside a news agency, and you think, oh, what's that all about? It's it's a similar sort of approach, but it's it's not baseless. You click through to that story, and you're not disappointed like you would be with clickbait on on other websites and in instances instances in the past. So it's really important because there's so much stuff out there that people can choose to read. The way that I like to approach a short headline, which might be sort of seven words at the most, is if I had five or ten seconds to explain to you the the most interesting part of that story in a lift while we were on our way into the office, that's that's how I would do it so that you would, you know, maybe want to know more or... Uh, continue the conversation outside the lift or seek me out later. Great. And on that, you know, as a PR agency or as just a regular Joe Blow on the street wanting to get your attention, wanting you to like their story and do a story on it, I believe that the headline we use to get your attention is pretty important. Would you agree? Absolutely. And and what is it about that headline that will get your sort of fingers tingling and thinking, okay, this is a story for me? It It just cuts straight to the point. Uh, you know, there's there's some agencies in PR that sort of try to, I don't know, put too much into it and they bury the lead almost. Um, you know, it's it's important just to find the strongest angle and mm. pitch that and, and not sort of overthink it almost. Um, you've got a great story to tell. You know what that story is. Tell me that story. Yeah, look, just, just be colloquial, I think. Um, the advice I've always given and what we tend to do is try and write a headline that would look like the headline that you would use as part of the story. And that you would click on. And that you you, Yeah, you, as the journal, you're thinking, yep, my audience would be interested in that and that's what gets you to read on and that's what will get them to read on. Absolutely. So. And, you know, for anyone that's pitching a story or, or has a story to tell, just think about what in that story would make you click on it on a news website or to continue reading in the paper or a magazine. You know, we all consume content. We know what we like. That's that's the best approach, mm. I think. What mm. would you read? Um, so you did some PR before journalism. So tell me how all that happened. It was sort of in the middle uh, or maybe about a third of the way through. I was fascinated by the PR side of things. Um, I studied journalism and and. I, you know, was very passionate about that so, sort of storytelling and I hadn't really considered the role of PR a great deal until I started working. And then I was just intrigued about how it all worked and, you know, how, what goes into good PR and, and so I gave it a go. And it was interesting. Um, I had some great clients. I had some uh, sort of difficult clients or not difficult, but clients that were difficult to sell. Um, and it's sort of that experience that, mm. that I valued the most out of that, trying to find a, a way to sell mm. a story that's not necessarily um, mainstream or is a tough sell, if you know what I mean. And how, how did you sell the story? Um, it was. Can you give examples? Yeah, I'm just trying to – so there was one client. I, um, I got lobbed with um, a retirement village you know, no one wanted to write about it. It was it was just a retirement village. And so we went in and um, found residents with interesting stories and we sold those stories into press about, you know, there was a, a woman who, uh, I'm trying, she was sort of somehow involved in like helping return servicemen after World War Two and had lost her husband and a, and a son or something like that. And she just had a really powerful story and, and there were plenty of people like that and so mm. we just went to personal case studies mm. and 
um, and sold those in. And then we looked at interesting programs that the Retirement Village was running, like a you know Zen garden to help lower anxiety levels and um, reduce loneliness, to through to art classes to sort of mm. you know help people with early stages of dementia. So mm. um, we just looked at different angles that weren't just sort of trying to sell spots at a, as a, at a residential aged care facility. Yeah, great. I mean, I love this because this is what I've been banging on about, but now we're hearing it from the journalist himself. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, you know, there are so many businesses out there who think, I, I don't have a story, but it's about looking deeper. You know, what's the human interest angle? What are the quirky aspects? You know, what could make a good picture story? You know, what are what are the tips that you can give and provide value? So it's looking beyond just the business. Okay, we're just another boring ex. Um, there's a million of us out there. And, you know, what's the actual story? What's the hook? That's I think that's the essential ingredient to getting the attention of someone like yourself to then turn it into a story. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer that everybody has a story. You just sort of have to find it or, or talk or think about it for a little while and, and you'll come across mm. it. And I think quite often it helps to brainstorm. You know, it's hard to brainstorm on your own sometimes. I try occasionally. It <laughs> doesn't really work. But yeah, getting together with, you know, your, your team or your family or your yeah. friends of business people, you know, your community because those stories are there. It's just about unearthing them. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. And what's the atmosphere like in media nowadays? Like there are so many redundancies. It's such a moving beast. You know, every second week you hear of journalists being made redundant. That must be terrifying. It's, uh, yeah, it's challenging, um, particularly when you're watching really great people leave the industry. I think the, the fewer passionate voices and um, that we have in the industry is, is not a great thing. It's difficult to be in, but at the same time, there's also a lot of investment taking place in media uh, in areas of growth. News.com.au is is growing. We, we're doing uh, quite well. We've been uh, number one each month for, I think, for almost four years now. Mm. Uh, and our audience has grown to 10.5 million unique Australians a month. Um, and so our newsroom is growing as a result and we're not just hiring younger, newer journalists, but we're investing in experienced journalists that bring, you know, a level of experience that is is essential to storytelling and to news. Um, so there are examples like that across the industry. At the same time, there's examples of, of newsrooms um, shrinking a little bit as well, which is difficult. But, um, you know, I think when you see that happening, you see examples of um, really resilient people banding together mm. to, to work together increasingly to protect what's not just a job for us, but a craft and a, and a lifelong love. I, I like to say that, we're, you know, the way we consume media is changing, but our addiction to consuming media is everlasting. Yeah. So it's just about five or so years ago, my client would say, I don't want to be online. It's irrelevant. Maybe more than five years ago. Maybe more like eight to ten years yeah. ago. Whereas now it's like, don't bother with print, you know. So yeah. it's just uh, – well, it must be exciting to be part of a company that's actually – booming instead of shrinking it is and you know historically um everyone knows that um rupert murdoch owns and, and runs news corporation uh he's extremely passionate about storytelling and news and so we have from the very top down an absolute dedication to to news and storytelling which is really great to be part of 
we're investing in new businesses. We're investing in different methods of storytelling um, across sort of video and augmented reality and interactive, um, you know, audience engagement. So uh, it, it's certainly a challenging time in media, but it's an exciting one as well. And on that, the video and the visual things, um, more and more people are sort of pitching a video news release and things like that. Can you tell me a bit about your experience with receiving those and do they, do they work in getting your attention and what, what's, what's the most impactful kind of visuals to get you as part of a story? It's, it's definitely something that's growing that I've noticed uh, sort of over the past year or two. Um, video is key online. It enhances a story on the site itself. Um, it's also really powerful on social media, which is an increasing part of the business. Um, I think we've got just over a million sort of Facebook followers or, or fans, whatever they call them now, mm-hmm. um, who love video and the engagement on those are really high. But it sort of can't just be the only part of the story, from for me anyway. If there's a powerful story that has a video component, great if it's just a flashy sort of really marketing centric video that's quite commercial in nature then I'm not overly interested yeah um yeah it's a complimentary thing Mm. and it's it's definitely helpful imagery as well is something that I'm noticing is growing uh, sort of Mm -hmm. supplied really slick professional imagery um which is always helpful because it's uh you know quicker for us Mm -hmm. yeah I think um if it's if it tells a story uh then it's Bring it on. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I mean, we've recently done some Vox Pop videos with our client Four Paws Australia. I think you've run a story on yep. them, actually. So it was all about it's – a, it's a campaign called Wear It Kind and it's magnifying the message of you actually don't know how many animals you're wearing and what's been done to those animals. So we hit the streets with the cameras, you know, asking people on the streets who got pretty passionate about it. So, yeah, it's just adding to the message instead of – and we're four paws and we yeah. do this and we do that. Absolutely. So, yeah. And a lot of the time there might be sort of a perception that you need to produce something that's really slick and looks like a mini documentary or something. But a lot of the time just B-roll footage that we can edit ourselves with our in-house production team in sort of in a style that's consistent with our brand in a in a way that tells the story in a really concise way, that's valuable too. You don't need to just sort of feel the pressure to do some sort of Martin Scorsese style mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, just, um, yeah, yeah. just you know, good simple footage is, is uh, it works as well. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And what are the pressures of your job? What is what is a day in the life of um, Shannon, or a, a week in the life of? So what what are your deadlines? What how many stories do you have to write a day? You know, just give us a bit of a snapshot of what you're, you, you need to do as part of your job and, and some of those pressures that you're under? Uh, it's such a annoying and cliche answer, but no two days are the same or no mm-hmm. two weeks are the same. Um, but it's kind of true. I'm part of our, our senior reporting team, which is a mix of both working on sort of the big stories of the day with, with the broader team, uh, which includes journalists here and in Melbourne and in Canberra, uh, as well as in our bureaus in New York and London, uh, working with you know, the visual team and the social team as well to build those out. Um, so it's the sort of issue of the day or the big big ticket story of the day, as well as broader projects. Um, so I'm working on a, a big mental health campaign at the moment that will roll out shortly mm-hmm. and also just sort of other things of interest, topics of interest. So today I, I might not 
produce anything for the site, but I'm working on maybe sort of four or five different stories. Mm-hmm. Or there could be days where I sort of push out three things to pay if I'm just doing newsy stuff. Um, so it really depends on, on what's happening. Um, and it's great to have that flexibility. Um, I like that I don't just come in and churn out a Bang few out stories, stories and, and, and then go home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, But the biggest pressure I'd say is is time. There's not enough yeah. time in the day. I yeah. could <laughs> I could use with a couple more hours, maybe. Yes, and I, a few I, more hours sleep at the end as well. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yes. And how you know how is it decided which stories get the main the first page pictures? Because obviously that's where you want your story to be. Well, that's where we want them to be. <laughs> um, and you probably want them to be there too. Definitely. The stories that you're writing. Yep. So, and that's the other thing. Journos. It's not just us. Journos want their stories read. They want them seen, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, you don't want anyone to read your story. Uh, <laughs> so how, how is that decided and how, how can businesses out there or PR agencies or us, <laughs> um, you know, get our clients on the front page? It's sort of a mix of editorial judgment. So, you know, we, we uh, like to present stories that are relevant and of interest and are important to readers, which is what newspaper editors have been doing for centuries now. And it's also the other part of the equation is analytics. So we know what stories are resonating, for how long people Mm -hmm. are reading them, to what point in the story they read down to, if they click on a video, if they click on a related link to a secondary story. Um, And that helps us guide what stories are important to readers in that moment and we sort of place them accordingly. Social is always um, an important factor as well because if people are Mm. coming through via Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, then that tells us that it's... It's it's having an impact beyond just what people are scrolling down on the on the yeah. homepage. And how can you get a story sort of more likely to be put on the social platforms? Because I know, you know, when our clients get a story, a news dot com to do, but then if it's put on the Facebook page, it just goes can go viral yep. and it's really powerful. So how can how can brands kind of encourage that to happen? Like is it just the story itself or by providing better images or who, um, is there any way you can try and It's probably a bit of both. That? Yeah, if there are really um, captivating images, obviously that will get attention when people are scrolling madly through their Facebook feeds. Um, but really it's just whatever will start a conversation. Uh, the longer people are engaged with the story, the better for, for us, for the readers, for um, other people that they're having conversations with about that issue. So anything that has that sort of water cooler chat angle to it that people are going to comment on, that they're going to post on their Facebook page or their other social channels so that they'll talk about at work in the morning. That really sort of conversational um, angle is important for social um, anyway. But also just if it's something that's timely uh, as well. We don't just post stuff to Facebook that starts a conversation, otherwise it would all be whatever the Kardashians have done yeah, today yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or what, whatever some uh, controversial politician said in Canberra. But it's, you know, if it's timely, if it's relevant or if it's something that's likely to spark a discussion, then mm. those are, are probably good tips for okay. getting stuff on oh, social. Great. And um, so you're, you're probably getting pitched to all day long by everyone under the sun. Yes. Um, <laughs> so how, how many sort of pitches would you get an hour, say? So? Like you, you looked at your phone after this interview, how, how many more pictures would be in, in your inbox? Definitely a few. In a day, it could be sort of 15 or 20. Okay, um, okay. 
depending on what's happening. If there's uh-huh. sort of if there's a, a big issue that has occurred that day, there's you know there might be more with responses from different organisations that their publicist has sent through. Um, but on an average day, it would definitely be okay. sort of fifteen or twenty. Yeah. And what pictures sort of do you delete straight away, and what kind of grabs your attention? The the story that I love telling when I'm asked this question is um, I was writing uh, celebrity features and entertainment stories and I'd been doing that for a while so it's it's not as though I was new to it and there might have been a misunderstanding about what I was covering but I kept getting um, pitches for some new type of caravan that had come on the market or something, <laughs> something like that and the first one I, I just sort of was confused I thought maybe it was a mass market pitch and then there was the follow-up phone call and the follow-up email, and I realised, no, this is this is a direct pitch that's come to me. So the ones I I, I don't love are, are ones that are just so random that you know there's no chance I would ever write about that. Not because I'm not interested, but just because it's it's just not a thing that I do. Yeah. Um, and I like a variety of topics. I like um, I like to write about different things, but there are some things that are just bizarre. <laughs> so the ones that I ignore are ones that, well, firstly, if it's just not a story, mm. uh, we have a, a saying in the office that that's not a story, that's a tweet. It's, mm. you know, it's mm-hmm. 30 or 40 words that, you know, a person might tweet and it might be of interest to two or three people. Yeah. It's not a story um, that we would run on the site. But then after that, if it's just, yeah, if it's not sort of relevant, it's it's mm. not, not of interest. And do you get a lot of follow-up calls yes. and emails? And you... <laughs> What do you? What's your take on that? I don't. I try and be patient because once upon a time, for mm. a brief period, it's, it's um, good that you know I was what doing it's that. Like yeah, yeah, I know what it's yeah. like to be on the other end of that call, and you sort of think, Speaking "Oh of mental God, health. yes, <laughs> is this is this journal going to abuse me or not?" So I, I don't do that. But um, there was a day a few weeks ago. Something big was. Oh, it was the day of that awful stabbing in the city uh, in Sydney and I was part of our sort of team um, working to cover that uh, from the office but with reporters on the ground that were feeding back in uh, to myself and a colleague and it was chaotic and we didn't know what it was whether it was an attack or um, something like that and things were moving very quickly and we were sort of managing a, a variety of different channels of content coming in and in the space of sort of four hours, I had three phone calls from mm. um, a publicist, not from your agency, I should say, <laughs> Thank you. Um, following up on a on an yeah. email pitch from that morning, not even yeah. from, you know, it's... So being aware of what's happening, you know, like if a big story is breaking, stay away. And yeah. unless yeah. it's, you know, it's it's a story about the end of the world, mm. you know, maybe, maybe don't call three yeah. times yeah, in a yeah. day about an email that you've sent at 9.30 that morning. Yeah, yeah, good advice. Yeah. And on a pretty different note, have you ever experienced any sort of discrimination, you know, being a gay man in media or any harassment or anything like that? Not, not, not in the sort of later st- stage of my career, I suppose, which I'm, I feel lucky about. Mm-hmm. Um, what about earlier? As a kid, definitely, yes. Uh, I grew up in a small town in, in central Queensland, mm-hmm. so it was yeah. pretty... You know, it was what you could imagine it would be in the 90s as well. So that added an additional element to it. <laughs> so it wasn't that wasn't pleasant by any means. Once I sort of, you know, I was an adult and moved on, it, it became less and less common. And I think that was also a symptom of, you know, increasingly being sort of privileged enough to choose 
where I live, what part of a city I live in, who my friends are, who I, you know, spend time and socialise with, what places I, I work in. Um, so I insulate myself a little bit, which is just that's a part of my life, for better or worse. Mm. Um, I would hate to to say to you that I haven't experienced that in a long time and then have people think that it doesn't happen because mm. we, we know that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but maybe six months ago I was walking down the street and someone yelled something pretty awful from a car. So, mm. you know, it, it happens. It's just it doesn't happen in the way that it happened to me once upon a time. Yeah. Which is and, great. And I believe that's the subject of your new book. It is, yes. So uh, tell us about your book, 14. Well, it's, uh, it comes out uh, early next year. Oh. Uh, it's being published by Simon & Schuster, which is um, you know, this fantastic publishing house. And it's, it's a year in my life uh, when I was 14. So 14. The, is that the, the age you came out? Uh, I sort of I came out in a, in, in a big way uh, the year after. Um, but 14 was sort of, I guess, a, a really pivotal year for me where I was realising who I was and mm. at the same time that, that my peers were realising who I was. Uh, so the, the clash of those two things, which was pretty potent, is, um, mm. is the, the guts of the book. So it's me at 14 and each chapter is a month in that year. Wow. Uh, and it's, there's some pretty heavy stuff in there, but there's also some, some light, fun mm. stuff, you know, the, the few friends I had that were very dear to me, helping me through and the sort of discoveries of, of adolescence mm. that were pretty funny at times and yeah. very awkward a lot of the times, yeah. um, all set to, you know, a soundtrack of Shania Twain and <laughs> S Club 7. So, <laughs> And what, what were some of the – can you mention some of the heavier things that you went through? Or? Yeah, it was – so I went to a school that – uh, it was an all-boys school, uh, which probably wasn't the wisest decision, mm-hmm. uh, in the, as it turned out, uh, but a very sort of footy-mad school where, you know, masculinity was oh, wow. was the key currency yeah. and someone like me who loved to write and was mm-hmm. creative and not terribly sporty uh, or not sporty at all, uh, you know, a little bit sort of dweeby and gangly, didn't fit in, but then obviously the, the clearly gay aspect of me just sort of, I don't know, it was like I was a, a pastime in a sideshow. Uh, there wasn't an hour uh, of each day that was not traumatic or, you know, oh. where I wasn't sort of on my toes or watching yeah. myself. Uh, there was a lot of physical violence um, oh. in that year. There was a lot of sort of just teachers ignoring what was going on as well and a couple even participating in it, which was um, pretty horrific. So uh, the book... A big sort of part of the book is um, a day where I was in a class and um, someone had, had written a letter from me to another boy professing my love for him yeah. and uh, the teacher read it out at, so in the front of the class. It was oh terribly humiliating. Oh. And then, uh, of course, after I was, you know, sort of beaten relentlessly oh, and, uh, and um, went home and decided that, I you know, was never going to escape this world and, and that I should end my life, which was, thankfully I didn't because I'm here today. Yeah. But that was, it, yeah, that, that was sort of, wow. that's a flavour of what yeah. life was like. Well, I mean, it's, it's great that you're sharing the story because it will Thanks. help a lot of people. But what's also great is that nowadays attitudes have changed. You know, at my kids' yeah. school, there's every kind of gender acceptance and, you know, everyone feels – well, I can't say everyone, but a lot of people are coming. My daughter's 13, already three guys have come out. And, wow. And everyone's accepting them and, you know, so it's it's changing, which is really positive. Absolutely. But I think a big part of the change is because people like you are prepared to share your story. Yeah. 
Your book's going to be amazing, can't wait Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, um, so you've recently launched the Claire Atkinson Memorial Scholarship in conjunction with University of Queensland um, in honour of your friend who passed away. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so Claire and I met at UQ. We were both studying journalism uh, and we were both very passionate about wanting to be in the media. We had both wanted to be journalists since we were little kids. I had a neighbourhood newspaper that I wrote on a typewriter when I was six. She had a mock radio studio in her bedroom. You know, we were both just news nerds um, that became best of friends. And then we went off and started our careers and she worked in broadcasting Europe and then back in Australia for the ABC and SBS. Um, She was hugely successful uh, and then at 29 out of the blue was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer. Uh, and she uh, she died 18 months later. So that was a, a very traumatic experience um, for everybody, obviously, um, and a way th- that I could cope was to kind of try and make some sense out of mm. a pretty senseless and, and cruel loss and try and help her name um, live on a little bit mm. with this scholarship which awards a journalism student from UQ, our alma mater, mm-hmm. um, uh, a sort of fully paid four-week, kind of like the internship of a lifetime. So they come to Sydney and they work at organisations where Claire worked. Oh, um, how beautiful. Hands-on, actually producing content, building their portfolios, working across businesses, you know, in, in sort of print storytelling, video and audio storytelling, uh, looking at how social media works, meeting with influential editors and uh, people from across the industry who've all been extremely supportive of this project and lent their time for two years now. We've just had our second oh, student come to Sydney. That's so awesome. It's, yeah, what a it's, great idea. It's fantastic. It, um, it's fantastic for me to see the next generation of storytellers mm. coming through. Um, and, of course, every, every um, minute I spend on this is a minute that I remember my friend. Yeah. Oh, how beautiful. That is just brilliant. I'm sure she's looking down and very happy yeah. with that. So that's awesome. It has been such a pleasure talking to you, Shannon Malloy. I Thank wish. You. I mean, I feel like we could talk all day. <laughs> um, I've really just appreciated you just opening up and sharing, you know, your some of your stories. My pleasure. And, um, I'm sure the listeners will agree. It's um, it's been fantastic. Oh, thank so you. I'm honoured to come and chat to you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Magnify You, a podcast where we show you how to mainstream your message. As Shannon Malloy said. Everyone has a good story. So what story are you sitting on that you can pitch to the media? Head over to our Facebook page, Monica Rosenfeld, Magnify You, where there'll be a discussion thread for this episode. I'm very keen to hear your comments and feedback. And stay tuned for episode two, which will be released next week, where I'll be interviewing Gemma Acton, who's the finance expert with National 7 News. Thank you for joining Monica Rosenfeld on the Magnify You podcast. If you liked the episode, rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the show on. You can listen to Magnify You on all podcast apps, including Apple and Google. Spotify and the TuneIn Radio app are other great ways to listen. If you are looking for a marketing speaker for your next event or PR for your business, contact Monica Rosenfeld at monica at wordstormpr.com.au. 